Well, folks, I want you to think about this question. What do you talk about more in your home? And by the way, we could say in the government or in media. But what do we talk about more in our home than money? I didn't say you didn't talk about other things in your home, maybe just as much. There might be things, and I hope so, that are just as important. But if you realize there's probably very little in your home that you discuss as much as you discuss money. That's probably an everyday topic. Now, some of those conversations may be very short. Did you put the bill in the mail today? Some of it might be, hey, did you, did you uh, balance the checkbook? Hey, did we get that bill in the mail? It might be something bigger, uh, talking about what we're going to do this summer, how we're going to accomplish that. But folks, there's hardly a day in your life that goes by in which you're not thinking about it, talking about it, working on it, making some decision about it. I, I, do you ever stop and realize just how big money is in our lives? It's talked about in our home. It's talked about constantly in our government. It's talked about constantly in the media, which why as a pastor, I kind of laugh that the, that the world kind of mocks the church because, you know, when you go to church, all they ever talk about is money. Folks, that's all we talk about anywhere. <laughs> There's very little more that we're talking about than money. Now, I understand why people say that. Some of the frustration with that, I would probably tend to agree If you've come to this church for any amount of time, you know we don't talk about money more than 90, 95% of the time. No, we don't don't talk about it a lot, but we do talk about it. And and shouldn't we? Don't we want to know what God talks about when He talks about what we talk about the most? I hope hope you got that because I can't say it again. I I tried first service. I fell off the tracks. I couldn't get it back on. (laughs) Folks, we need to know what God says about this. And here's just one simple reason. Our nation is in a financial disaster. I'm not talking about times being tough and the mortgage crisis and, you know, the job rates a little bit higher than our... Folks, we're in a financial disaster in this country. There is almost nothing that we're doing right. From your house to the White House, as they say, or from Main Street to Wall Street. There is very little that we are doing right when it comes to money. We need a new direction. We need to know what God has said about this. Folks, would you be surprised? And I know many of you wouldn't. But would you be surprised to know that you've never made a single financial decision in your entire life that God hasn't spoken to. Did you make that decision in light of what He said? Did you follow that principle, that command that He gave in that area? Because if we're not making our decisions in light of what God has directed, in light of what God has said, then like our country, we're going the wrong direction. Now, I could imagine somebody hearing that and being almost a little bit put out. (laughs) Don't don't tell me I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm, I'm doing quite fine. You know, I, I, I don't have bad debt. I pay my bills. I, I make a good living. You can't tell me I'm going in the wrong direction. Folks, having a job and even being prosperous doesn't mean you're going in the right direction. America's been going in the wrong direction since, and I'm not an economic historian. I think, though, we've been going in the wrong direction since the 60s. And much of that time, we've been a very prosperous nation. So having money... Being prosperous does not mean you're going in the right direction. 
As a matter of fact, there's only one that determines that we're going in the right direction, and that's God. I want to look at what he says today. You know, I think sometimes when we hear the word God and money, we assume the topic's only about one thing. Give it. Give it to the church. Give it to the pastor. Give me your money. That, that, that's all God's got to say about money. No, folks, actually God has quite a bit to say about money. Yes, on giving, but on every area of finances, inheritance, insurance, bills, paying debts, getting loans, co-signing loans. Folks, God's word speaks to all of this. So again, the question is, are we making our decisions in light of that? What I want to give you today is six principles for approaching your finances. Six thoughts, six kind of ways that need to be guiding how we think when we approach the account. When we approach the checkbook, when we're spending money, six things that need to be guiding us. And then from those six things, uh, three priorities. Boy, six and nine, three, that's nine. I hope you brought a sack lunch. No, we're going to run. We're going to move through this pretty quickly, actually. Six things that should be guiding our thoughts. Number one, God owns everything. Every bit of it. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Now, I've checked this out. My driveway's on the earth. I'm guessing yours is too. My house is on the earth. So that means that my driveway and all that's on it, my house and all that's in it, belongs to the Lord. That's what he's saying. I said, wait, now, wait a minute, Lord. I, you know, I respect you, the earth, all that. You made it, but I, I, I bought that house. I bought that with my money, Lord. Uh, Haggai 2.8 says that the silver and the gold is mine. You don't have any money, folks. It's God's money. Well, no, 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 wait a minute. Uh, you know, I respect the Lord and everything, but, but I'm the one who worked for that. That was my blood. That was my sweat. That was my hard effort. No, actually, it wasn't. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says your ability to make a living, the power to make wealth, that comes from God too. Folks, God owns everything. You absolutely possess nothing. You own nothing. Now, those aren't verses that we just look at and go, oh, well, oh, oh. okay, God owns it, and then, and then we go on just living like we were. If he's the owner, then that means I need to know what the owner says, right? Doesn't the owner have that prerogative? So when I'm saving it, when I'm spending it, when I'm using it, when I'm making it, I need to be doing that in light of the owner's principles. The owner gets to direct that. He's the owner, and this is point number two, I'm the manager, I'm the manager of these resources. Not an owner, but a manager. 1 Corinthians 4.2 said it is required. It's required of stewards, that's a manager, that one be found trustworthy. Folks, that, that, that be found trustworthy is a measurement phrase, isn't it? We're going to be measured. We're, we're going to be judged. Was I a faithful manager? Was I a good manager of the resources that came through my hands? I think sometimes, even as believers, we think, well, all I'm really held accountable for is, is what I gave or, or what I didn't give, right? That's all God's concerned about is, is the giving. No, every bit of it's His. You're not just accountable for what you give or don't give. You're accountable for 100% of the stuff that goes through your hands. Your manager, he's an owner, managers report to owners. That makes sense, doesn't it? We, we've, we've got that. So I approach stuff not as this is mine to do with as I please. I approach it as God's the owner of it. I'm responsible for faithfully managing it with the commands and principles he's given. 
Now, as I approach this stuff, Jesus gives me a warning. This is the third mindset that we need to have, the third understanding we have. Jesus says, as you approach that stuff, be careful you don't worship it. Be careful that you're not using it inappropriately and that it ends up gaining control over you. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You're going you're to hate one, you're going to love the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I'll tell you something, folks. I don't, I don't know how many times in my life I've read that verse. Uh, hundreds, probably. And I look, I've always kind of read that verse as a kind of a, a one-time decision thing. You know, I, I came up on that verse. It says, Randy, don't have two masters. You can't serve God and money. And I said, okay, I, I believe that. I'm a Christian. I'm not serving money. Don't think I should serve money. Don't think money should be an idol. So it's done. Okay, good. I got that verse handled. I got that one covered. But I stopped and realized, and, and I, when I say I stopped and realized, this week, after all these years looking at verse, you know, I always think everything Jesus is saying, he's giving insight to us. He's giving insight to me. And what he's saying is, Randy, as you approach that stuff, listen, I, I know how sin has affected you. I know how the fall in this world has affected you. And you've got a real tendency to slip. You've got a real tendency to start looking to that money as if that's the answer, that's the cure, that's the be-all, end-all. And if you're not careful, you're, you'll start worshiping it. This isn't a one-time decision. This isn't about whether you call yourself a Christian and whether you sat in church and sang songs, sang I was God. Your actions and attitudes are ultimately going to communicate what's God. And if you're not measuring yourself, if you're not watching yourself, Randy, you can slip right over into worshiping that money as if it was God. You know, I always say there's a very real, clear red flag to determining which one is God. If you can't use the money to worship the one true God, then that money is your God. If you have a hard time giving, if that's a debate, if that's a struggle, if that's a fight, there's a good chance it has control over you instead of you having control over it. So Jesus tells me, man, as you approach that money, you better always be mindful, always kind of measuring, am I treating that money as a tool to worship God or am I worshiping that money as God? Number four, fourth mindset that we need to have is that I am going to manage this money best if my desire is to honor the Lord with it first. Look at that phrase there, Proverbs 3.9. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth. Now, honor the Lord, that's a command. It's not a request. It's, it's not a neat idea. You know what? If you've got some money left over this month, here's something you ought to try. Honor, no, it's a command. Honor the Lord. Now, we get caught up, and I've certainly done this in some sermons. We, we talk about the amount but without even talking about an amount today, folks, simple question. What honors him? What amount in your own heart and mind, what amount would say, God, this is what I think of you. God, this is your worth to me. This is what I want to express to you. This is how you rank in my life. Because, folks, we rank with our money. So what, what amount in your mind says, God, I honor you. I want to honor you not from my leftovers. I want to honor you from my wealth. And the Lord says that there is a time and a place to do that. What is it? First. From the first of your produce. That's a farming way. In our way, we would say from the, with the first thing you do with the paycheck. That paycheck comes. First thing you do with it is honor the Lord from your wealth. You know, I, I used to... I still do my offerings on, uh, on checks. We, you know, I don't write many checks anymore, do y'all? 
I mean, gosh, five, six years ago, I probably wrote 40, 50 checks in a month. Now it's like four or five checks. Every, everything's online. Everything's electronic. And, and I think that's fine. As a matter of fact, we do electronic deposits here at our church, electronic giving. But I tell you, one value of writing a check is just that opportunity. When that paycheck comes in this Wednesday, the 15th, first thing I do, write two checks for February 19th and February 26th. First thing I do, first checks I write, first money going out is to those places. And and, and right there, I've honored him first with that which has come in. Plus, I don't confuse myself into thinking that that balance is there. Oh, that, that money's there for me to do with what I want. Oh, that balance, you know, we see that balance. That's money to spend, right? That's why I need to get it out of there first. So that I know that's really not mine. And when I take care of first things first, guess what? You've now involved God in how the rest of it works. You've, not got, you've now got his blessing on how the rest of it takes place. That's a big statement. Think about it this way, folks. The Bible says when we don't do that, when we don't do Proverbs 3.9, it says we are robbing God. That's not what the pastor says. That's what the Bible says, that you are robbing God. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but, but think about this. How many people today, how many church-going people today robbed God and in the very process of robbing them then bowed their head and said, God, would you please bless my finances? God, would you please help me to pay this bill? God, would you please give me that deal? Please help me get that pay raise. Please help. God, please help this. We're, we're asking God to bless and help us in our finances in the very moment that we're robbing him. Is that just me or is that a contradiction? Does that create a problem? Now, folks, you don't have to agree with me, but you do have to blend these biblical statements. You do have to blend this concept of what does it mean to honor him? What does God say when I'm robbing him? Can I, can I rob him, not honor him, and then turn around and ask him to bless my finances? If I'm not right, how do you reconcile all that? I'm going to manage best. We're going to manage best if we honor the Lord first with our resources. Fifth concept that we want to have, fifth mindset we want to have is we're going to manage best if we've got a commitment, if we've got a desire, man, to be content. Now, this is like completely against the American way, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, if you're American, you always want more. That's, part of, that's the American right. More. I want more. How much is enough? Do we ever ask that question? Is is there ever enough? You know what? If you've never answered that question, then the answer is no. There's nothing that will ever be enough. Because if you don't have a a line out there, it's always, it's going to be more that drives your life. The passion and the desire for more that controls you. How much is enough? That doesn't mean if... If we've drawn a line that we tell our boss, oh no, I don't want any more pay raises, my wife and I have decided we're satisfied here. No, I would highly suggest take the pay raise. And now anything that is above and beyond what we've decided we can be content with now gives me more opportunity to give, to serve, to bless the Lord, the the other believers, the community. I've got more to serve with instead of just consume. Because that's kind of what we live for in America, isn't it? Just consume kind of an empty life when it's all said and done to just be a consumer how much is enough i like the way paul says this in philippians 4 not that i speak from want for i have learned to be content in whatever circumstances i am paul says man let me tell you something i've been there i've been dirt poor i've been in a place where i couldn't rub two coins together i was trying to sew a patch on top of a patch on top of a patch to make a shirt last 
I, you know, I, I've missed meals. I know what that's like. But you know what? I've also had the experience of really being quite prosperous. I know what it is to eat in a nice restaurant. I know what it is to wear nice clothes. I know what it is to not be concerned about money at all. And you know what I learned? Man, it's not about money at all. Money's not what enabled my life. Money's not what empowered my life. My opportunity to know and serve God, my opportunity to impact this world for Christ had nothing to do with how much money I had. You know what the secret is? It's Jesus. And that's what flows into that very famous verse, Philippians 4.13. It's not money I can do all things through. It is Christ that I can do all things through. Man, we will manage. Our money's going to go a lot further when we can get to a place where we say, you know what, for right here and right now, and it might change. It might not be a number you set for the rest of your life. But when we've got an idea, hey, here's enough. We'll manage better. And then lastly, last concept we want to have is to work and to plan. That's a mentality. That sounds like an action. It is an action, but it starts with a mentality. I want to build wealth by working, by saving, by planning, by being smart. Folks, you know what? I think that used to be the American way, don't you? I, I think America's a pretty hard-working group of people. I think that's, that's been a big part of our DNA. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. But that's God's way. Second Thessalonians 3, if anyone's not willing to work, he's not to eat either. Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent, the diligent, the one who's thinking, the one who's planning, the one who's preparing. It's the plans of the diligent that lead to advantage. In other words, that would be prosperity. But everyone who is hasty, that's the American way today. Everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Folks, I think we have changed in America. And I think my guess would be this started with the credit card. We have changed where we don't want to build wealth by, by disciplining ourselves with planning, by, by working hard, by making good decisions. We don't want to build wealth that way. No, we just want it right here and right now. You know, my mom and dad, when they got married, they had a, uh, they had a kitchen table, they had a couch, and they had a bed. And about a year later, you know what they had? A kitchen table, a couch, and a bed. Because my parents were like, weird. They had this strange idea that you're supposed to actually have the money when you go buy it. And that's what most of that generation was. As a matter of fact, you didn't really have a choice. That's what all of that generation and prior was. But then came along the credit card that gave, I think it probably started a little bit before me, but I'll say my generation, it gave us the ability to get married and fill up a house three times the size of my parents' apartment and fill it up with furniture. Not because we had the money, but because we had credit. I don't want to work, I don't want to plan, and I don't want to save. I want what I want, and I want it right now. I want in 30 minutes what took my parents 30 years to accumulate. Folks, that's the American way. And where does it lead? And where are we heading? No nation has possessed as much as the United States of America. No nation in the history of humanity. And we're on the brink of bankruptcy. Why? Right there. Folks, God's principles are always going to tell us exactly why, exactly what, exactly when. We want it now. I don't want to work. I don't want to... But see, the problem is that's God's way of building wealth. God's way is that I am applying wisdom, that I am working, that I am being disciplined. So see, these are the mindset. Okay, I've got a checkbook out there. I've got an account out there. I've got this money that I do not own. It's God's. 
And he says, Randy, as you approach it, you approach it knowing I'm the owner, you're the manager. You approach it knowing if you're not careful, you'll have a tendency to start worshiping it. Keep an eye on that. Randy, as you approach it, your first commitment ought to be to serve me, to worship me, and to honor me with it. Randy, work on being content. If you're going to look for money and stuff, it'll never fill the hole. You really need to find your contentment in Christ. And lastly, approach that with a commitment to work and to save, to apply wise, biblical, prayerful principles to everything you're doing financially. Now, out of those, three, out of those six things comes three priorities. Number one, you already kind of figured out where I'm going with this because I've already said it from our mindset. Our first priority is to honor the Lord. Our first priority is to give. And I love the way Jesus says this. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's the first thing I should be doing with my money, my highest priority. Now, you know what? I read that, I read that verse and I always ask this question. Why? Why, why, why do I need to store up treasures in heaven? Do I need treasures in heaven? What do we do with treasures in heaven? And you know, after years of research, I can authoritatively say, I don't have a clue. I, I have not found any verse in the Bible that elaborates on why I need treasures in heaven. What difference will it make if I have treasures in heaven? Well, I wish I had more treasure. I, it doesn't say that. But this I do know. There's this guy who incredibly loves me. As a matter of fact, every time this guy speaks, every time he acts, it's for my well-being. Matter of fact, he died for me. And that guy who loves me so much said, Randy, come here. You need to store up treasures in heaven. Well, why? Store up treasures in heaven. Just trust me on this. I've been there. You want to do this. See, it really comes down to when I read that, do I trust him or not? Do I believe them or not? Store up treasures in heaven. Now, you know, it says something else there. Treasures. What do you consider to be a treasure? If you find a dollar bill on the ground, do you say, I have found a treasure? Probably not. No, it, take a little bit more. When you hear the word treasure, doesn't that imply something of value? Something of significance? Something of size? I mean, the Lord seems to be saying, man, you want to really, store up a lot. I mean, folks, I don't think we want to get to heaven with all of eternity stretching out in front of us and go, oh, that's why we were supposed to store up treasures in heaven. Jesus said store up treasures. I look through the New Testament, I see three ways we're storing up treasures in heaven. Number one, when we give to the church. God's primary vehicle for doing his work on this planet is the church. Primary place we're to be doing our giving. So I think giving to the church is storing up treasures in heaven. Giving to the poor is storing up treasures in heaven. A lot of different ways you can, you can do that through the church. You can do that with somebody you know and hand it right to them. A variety of ways that we can serve and care for the poor. When that's the part that you're doing, if that's what you're doing with your giving, that's storing up treasures in heaven. I think when you give to other ministries, there are ministries that aren't called churches, but they're ministries that are advancing the kingdom of God, that are advancing the gospel. When you're given to that kind of thing, you're storing up treasures in heaven. And when we store up treasures in heaven, we're doing two great things. Number one, we're obeying the Lord, and obedience is always a good thing. It was Jesus who said this as a command, store up treasures in heaven. Second thing we're doing, remember back to our principles, Man, when I can give it, I'm fighting that tendency to materialism. I'm fighting that tendency to worship it when I can let go of it. So, first priority is storing up treasures in heaven. 
Second priority with our budget is to take care of our family. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Folks, God intends for your budget to provide for a home. There's a very simple verse right there. Next time that, you know, somebody says, all the Bible has to say about money is give it. No, God doesn't actually, actually give it all. He expects part of that money to be used to pay for a home, to put clothes on your back, to feed a family. He intends for you to do that. And then a third priority, kind of along with this, says to pay your bills. Look at that verse right there. The wicked, the wicked borrows and does not repay. God expects us to pay our bills. Now, so folks, I've got money. Okay, here comes this money that God has given. And he said, Randy, you got three things to do with this before you do anything else. Number one, honor the Lord with it. Store up treasures in heaven. Number two, care for your home. Care for your family. And number three, pay your bills. One, two, three. I make sure I never put myself in a position where those three things aren't happening. But see, what happens in America, folks, is... Well, first thing in America is we throw out number one altogether. <laughs> we just get right to the home and, and providing for a family. And so we got number two, we got number three, and then we start doing all this spending down here at number four and number 11 and number 17, and we're putting ourselves in a position where we can't take care of the first priorities. We're, we're maxing ourselves out with, with no room to breathe. And so we come up and say, you know what, I can, I can buy this car, I can take out this, this loan for 60 months, I've gone home and I've, I've measured how much I've got coming in and I've measured how much I've got going out and that, that loan payment, it fits right in. We never finish the sentence though. It fits right in today. But the loan's not for one day, is it? The loan is for 60 months. And a lot of times what we're doing is we're building a budget that I can do this as long as everything is perfect for 60 months. As long as absolutely nothing goes wrong for 60 months. Folks, what planet are you living on? Something's going wrong. I tell you that right now. The water heater is going to break. The other car is going to need to be fixed. Something is going to happen. But that's exactly the American way of building a budget. You max it out. You spend every single penny depending a whole lot on credit. And God is up there saying, I told you this isn't going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And pretty soon it's happening out of one out of ten homes. And it's two out of ten homes. And it's five out of ten homes. And guess what? All of these homes are people that we elect to go be lead our government. So they take this same philosophy to government. And so now it's every home there. And then we're wondering, oh my gosh, what's happening in America? Folks, we're going bankrupt. We're absolutely going bankrupt. You know, if I had said any of this stuff 20 years ago, I'd sound like a prophet, a prophet of doom. Today, I'm just reading yesterday's news. I, think, I don't think I've ever been more skeptical that something can actually get fixed than right now. I think we are going to see the demise of the United States of America and it will be our economics that tear us down. Now, can something still happen? I know this, it's not going to happen until it happens in your home and in my home. Folks, if the people of God can't follow God's principles, then why, pray tell, would we think our government would follow God's principles? The government is us. Let's not forget that. The government isn't some strange being out there that we're stuck with. They're us. They're living the exact same way we are. If the people of God don't follow the principles of God, then nothing's going to change in America. And if we don't take, pick up this mess, then it's going to be our kids who have the mess land on them. Folks, God's word is filled with warnings, with advice, with blessings, with cursings. Everything we need 
from making good financial decisions. As a matter of fact, if you look in your bulletin today, uh, under the sermon title, there's always a little thing there called Faith Talk. A couple questions to kind of help you talk through a, a sermon with your family over lunch and bring out some applications and work on that together. But in today's, not only did I put those questions, but I also put recommendation for some books. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that God has all this to say. God's got all these principles and commands. And so I wanted to recommend some books that would pull all that together for you. And help you start learning how to build a, a godly budget, a biblical-based budget. Remember, yes, God's going to talk to you about giving. But folks, get past that. Because God's talking about a whole lot more. He's talking about everything you need. Let me say it again. You've never made a financial decision that God didn't speak to. Did you make those decisions in light of what He said? Folks, it's not a game anymore. Not a debate over the tithe or 10%. It's not a debate whether that church up there is trying to get all your money. It's not a game anymore, folks. Let me tell you what this is about. It's about who your God is and what you're doing with His stuff. It's about who your God is and what you're doing with His stuff. I want to leave you with a question. It's an offensive question. It's a bothersome question. If you spend any time on it, it's going to irk you a little bit. But as you walk through this week and you write a check and you pay for something and you're organizing bills, just think of this. Could there possibly be anything more foolish? Could there be anything more criminal-like than to be handling money, acting like it was yours? Anything more foolish, anything more criminal. Guys, those are, those, are, those are not nice words. Those are mean words. Okay, tell me I'm wrong. But why are you telling me I'm wrong? If you're using that money like it's yours to do with as you please, according to Scripture, that's both foolish and criminal. So how do you think it's going to work out from there? Let's pray. Father, our, our nation needs your help. We're, we are in a mess. We, we put band-aids on things. We can get it going for a little bit. But God, there is a, a debt hanging over us out of there that is just a, a, a looming storm, a looming monstrosity. God, we can't pay what we've borrowed. We're spending money we don't have. We're doing it in our government. We're doing it in our homes. God, we have to confess that we're doing this because we've ignored your principles. Sometimes we got stuck in some bad situations, some things out of our control. And Lord, if we're being honest, sometimes it was just greed and selfishness and living for the moment that drove it. God, we need your help. Lord, it's real easy for, for me, I think, for us to point at our government and to point at others. Lord, I pray we would take time to look inside our own house and see if your principles and commands are guiding what's happening in there. Gosh, Lord, if we're sitting right here right now defensive and angry, may we ask ourselves, why? Why am I defensive? Why am I angry? Why do I disagree with everything he's saying? God, guide us to the truth. God, may the house of God, 
May the people of God be the place where your word and your principles are honored and acknowledged and lived out. And may our homes and our lives become a testimony to a suffering world around us of the difference that your word can make when it's lived out. We need your help, Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen.